Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. Those are verses 15 to 19 of Psalm 116, which along with Psalm 110 and 117 are the psalms appointed for today, Saturday, October the 15th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We are continuing today with a look at the book of Ecclesiasticus. Again, which is not in the Bible proper, it's in the Apocrypha, which are books that, that the church, at least parts of it, have said for the years it doesn't belong in the canon of Scripture. We don't believe it's inspired at that level, but they might be profitable for reading by the church. So in other words, in, the, in uh, a typical Anglican service, whenever you finish reading a lesson from the Bible, you, the reader would say um, the word of the Lord and the congregation would respond with, um, thanks be to God. When you read from the Apocrypha in a public service, it just ends with, here ends the reading. We're not affirming that it's the word of the Lord. So anyway, um, Ecclesiasticus 3, 17 to 31, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, 37 to 50, right after the uh, the transfiguration, and then the end of the book of Acts from chapter 28, verses 17 to 31. So, in the Ecclesiasticus, when remember I told you yesterday that that it's um, it's it's proverbs like literature. So now we're getting advice from the author to a child. My son, perform your tasks in meekness, then you'll be loved by those whom God accepts. And, and that's exactly the same thing Jesus says. Don't get, don't seek out the best seats at, at, at banquets and things like that. Don't try and and, and exalt yourself. And it can be, do it with meekness and humility. The greater you are, the more you must humble yourself, which is exactly what Jesus taught the night of, uh, that he was arrested, right? I mean, at the uh, Last Supper, what's he, what's he do? He strips to the waist and washes the feet of his disciples. He's showing them that the, the way to greatness in the kingdom is to be a servant of all. We're going to see that same thing in the gospel lesson today, in fact. <clears throat> so it, let me go back to that. Um, the greater you are, the more you must humble yourself, so you will find favor in the sight of the Lord. And again, all these things are things that Jesus taught. You know, don't give your, um, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing when it comes to giving charity, for instance. Don't pray in the marketplace. Don't pray it out loud and go on and on and on about it. No, no, no. Go into the closet in your room and pray there. And, and so there's all those kinds of things. Jesus is constantly telling exactly that same thing. For great is the might of the Lord. He is glorified by the humble. Interesting. That's an interesting way of saying that. And the reason it's true is because you're not making a big deal of yourself. You're making a big deal of him. So he's glorified by the humble. Seek not what's too difficult for you, nor investigate what's beyond your power. Sort of know your place, know your limitations, and don't try and exceed those things. There's, there's no point in, in doing so. Reflect upon what's been assigned to you, for you don't need what's hidden. Don't meddle in what's beyond your tasks, for matters too great for human understanding have been shown you. In other words, there's a spiritual revelation that exceeds um, what you could naturally expect, and and that's a philosophical um, position to take, that if you walk into a certain revelation, if if in faith you move forward having received a divine sort of revelation, then there are greater sources of knowledge available to you than if you don't walk in that faith. And that is that's a philosophical position that dates back to William James in the late part of the 19th century. 
So again, th- there's this there's a constant. There's nothing new under the sun. Like I said, until postmodernism comes along, William James it, it raises this very issue. Don't meddle in what's beyond your task for matters too great for human understanding have been shown you. Um, that That is, if you believe in the revelation of God, then there are actually sources of knowledge available to you in, in walking in that faith than for those who don't walk in that faith. So don't seek out all these other things, is what he's saying. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. It's just you keep your mind in the, running in that one direction. For their hasty judgment has led many astray, and wrong opinion has caused their thoughts to slip. A stubborn mind will be afflicted at the end, and whoever loves danger will perish by it. A stubborn mind will be burdened by troubles, and the sinner will heap sin upon sin. The affliction of the proud has no healing. For a plan of wickedness has taken root in him. And and the affliction of the proud has no healing, for a plan of wickedness has taken root in him. The, the best way to see that is to look back at the plagues in Egypt and to say that Pharaoh, who thought himself to be a god, hardened his heart against the revelation that he was receiving in the plagues. So he, the affliction of the proud has no healing. There was no way to heal that because he hardened his heart against God. He was so stubborn in his mind, and that's what this says, a stubborn mind will be afflicted at the end. A stubborn mind will be burdened by troubles. Yes, if you refuse the revelation that's in front of you, and you can see the same thing with with the the leaders of the Jews in the time of Jesus. You can see it today in those who who, who refuse to receive the revelation, who have, like the new atheists, for instance, those kinds of people. The affliction of the proud has no healing. Why is that? Because they won't humble themselves before God. Because what? Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So it all comes full circle in these things. The mind of the intelligent man will ponder a parable, and an attentive ear is the wise man's desire. So to be truly intelligent, you will consider these things, think on these things, dwell on the things of God. Water extinguishes a blazing fire, so almsgiving atones for sin. Now, that's an interesting idea, Um, and and it's certainly a very, very Jewish idea. In fact, at at Yom Kippur uh, and and Rosh Hashanah, particularly the, the time between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, that period of time, it's 10 days, and, and we've just come through it, in fact. Um, those 10 days, there, so initially there's a provisional judgment for the year written for each person in the book of God. And, and then in those 10 days, the, if you do things like almsgiving, the belief is, is that will atone and that can change the judgment for the year in your favor. Once you get to Yom Kippur, it's done. It's sealed up for the year, but you have those 10 days to kind of make atonement for the things that you have done that might cause you to have a bad judgment for the past for the next year based on the past year. Therefore, you can fix that in those 10 days. Now, why you don't do that 365, I have no idea. Whoever requires favors gives thought to the future. At the moment of his falling, he will find support. And and there's sort of the idea of that in the parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the wicked servant, right? Because what he says is the man goes out and he, he is being fired. It's clear that he's already been fired from his job. He's been told to bring the books to account and give them to the man who owns them. And instead, he goes out to the people who owe things to the man and then changes the amounts that are owed by reducing them. And and what Jesus says is that they make... they, they um, they put themselves into a position where they can be welcomed by others because of what they've done by being, quote, wise in the ways of the world. So whoever requires favors gives thought to the future. At the moment of his falling, he will find support. So if he's 
if he has looked ahead and he has uh, set, set himself up for the future. Now, why anybody would do anything knowing that you're a dishonest man, uh, the only excuse would be, well, he, he just likes me, so he did me a favor, so therefore I'll do him a favor in the future. In the in the gospel today, remember, so they've, they've on the next day when they come down from the mountain, so they spent the night up there, and they come down the next day after the transfiguration, a great crowd met him. And every time here in this in the ninth, eighth and ninth chapters of Luke, we keep seeing, except for when he goes to the country of the Gerasenes, what we see is a great crowd meeting Jesus. And so a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he's my only child. He's all I've got. Um, and behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he throws foams at the mouth and shatters him, and he'll hardly leave him. Now, you know, after Will had his skull flaps put back in, he began to have seizures, and those are frightening, frightening things. Man, those are the only times in my life I've ever seen those, and it's horrible to see these things happen. Um, and I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. This one is worse, it seems like, that, that this man is distraught over the situation, and he's begged the disciples to cast it out, but they couldn't do it, which is going to be a little bit weird here in a couple of minutes. So Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. I mean, he is ready to get to the end, right? I mean, he has set his face toward Jerusalem. He's met with Moses and Elijah. He's told the disciples what's going to happen. He's ready to go in that direction. But what he sees is they're not ready. And, And the proof is that they're not able to do this thing. So he rebuked the unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. So what did we see before in the in the Ecclesiasticus passage? We saw something that's very similar to that, right? So it says, for great is the might of the Lord, and he is glorified by the humble. So here what happens is that they give they were astonished at the majesty of God because Jesus healed somebody. And so it, it gives witness to God. We do that. We, when we talk about people who have healing ministries, what that should mean typically is, is that, that God tends to work in that way through these people. So healings, you know, kind of tend to go with that person's ministry. But so-and-so doesn't have a healing ministry. God has a healing ministry. He works through that person. And anybody who is genuine will say that, will absolutely say that. They will, they will say, no, 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 I don't heal anybody. God heals but while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, so everybody else is like, wow, this is absolutely incredible. Jesus looks to his disciples and said, let these words sink into your ears. Just listen. Really, really listen to me here. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Oh, everybody here is talking about how great you are, Jesus. What are you talking about? They didn't understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, so God hid it from them. So that they wouldn't know, so they wouldn't perceive it. He intended that they not perceive it. So when it says, for instance, that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, the point was he, the, the actual word there is strengthened Pharaoh's heart. Pharaoh decided to harden his heart. God just gave him the power and the strength to continue to do so because hang a big sign around him said, God at work, right? I mean, ultimately, he has a decision to make, but ultimately he had made a decision to persevere in unbelief. <clears throat> So here you see the same thing. So it was concealed from them so that they may not perceive it, but they would remember it later. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. So they, they, it was like, now, nah, well, you know what? Peter made that mistake the other day, and I don't, I don't think I'm going to go there. An argument, this is so bizarre. I mean, what did we come from? We've come from three guys who had this divine revelation on the mountain that Jesus was greater than everything, that he was God's son, his chosen one, his Messiah, 
And then the others had been there at the same time. They're trying to heal somebody. They can't do it. Jesus does. So what happens next? An argument arose among them to which of them was the greatest. Well, who cares? What possible difference does it make? Which one of you is the greatest? I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous that they're even having this conversation because compared to Jesus, greatness doesn't mean anything at all. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to him, whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. As I said, Jesus taught this again and again and again, and we still don't get it. (laughs) We still don't get it. We covet somebody else's ministry. You know, ah, I wish I had what that guy has, or, or, or we make too much of people. And we shouldn't do that. It's a huge mistake. Jesus is the only one we should make much of. John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he doesn't follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Don't stop him, for the one who's not against you is for you. And if they're able to cast out demons, they're doing it by the power of God. And so don't try and stop him, he says, because, hey, you're going to have enemies anyway. These people are not your enemies. So leave it alone. Don't worry about that. Um, you're going to have enemies. You're going to have people who are going to hate you and are going to be against you. And, and just be glad for anybody who's not. Is <laughs> essentially what Jesus is saying in that. And we see in uh, Acts 7, we see the son, seven sons of Sceva who decide, oh, hey, there's, there's a magic word here that we can use to drive out demons. And, and it's Jesus that Paul proclaims. Well, it didn't work very well because they didn't know Jesus and they weren't standing in his blood. They were not covered by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, they were incredibly vulnerable. Paul, you know, Jesus, we know, Paul, we know, but you, we don't. And then they, you know, well, get chased away. In the, <laughs> the, the finale of Acts here, after three days, he's, they've come to Rome. So after three days, he, Paul, called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. So I I'm not coming here to charge the nation with anything. I'm not here to rabble-rouse. I'm not here to do any harm to you at all. I'm here only on appeal for the charges that they brought against me. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it's because of the hope of Israel, which is the resurrection, that I am wearing this chain. So Paul said, look, I'm not here to make any trouble, and I would really kind of like it if you don't make any trouble for me either. I don't know what you might have heard about me, but it's not true. What they accused me of in Jerusalem, not the truth. And they said to him, we haven't received any letters from Judea about you. And none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. It's a little bit strange, to be honest with you, that that would be the case. I would have absolutely thought that they would have sent word ahead that, hey, this guy's coming and you might want to kill him, actually, um, because what he's done. But no, it seems that, that nobody even sent letters ahead to say anything about Paul. He said, but they said, but we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. I mean, and it's funny because the way that you can kind of read that, and maybe the way you should kind of hear that, is the old story, and it's not apocryphal, it was real, I just don't remember the woman who said it, that when, when Richard Nixon was elected, the, the uh, comment she made was, I don't even know how that happened because nobody I know voted for him. And, and it's so typical. And it's the same now in politics, one way or another. You know, you, you meet people on the, on the right who don't have anything good to say about, um, you know, whoever's on the left, 
And they're just absolutely shocked that there are people who actually think, well, those people are pretty good. And then the same is true on the left about people on the right. And then what do we do? We don't we don't stop there, though. We, we don't just stop at that point. No, we got to demonize because we hate that person so much, which is not what we're supposed to do. We hate that person so much that now we begin to demonize the people who like that person. And it certainly happened a lot in my lifetime, and way more so in the last, say, 10 years. And, it's, and so it's exactly what it is. We, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Well, why is it spoken against? And who speaks against it? But that's all they know is what they've heard. And so they've already formed an opinion about this. But, hey, you know, hey, you got something to say. We'd, we'd like to hear you too, maybe. But it, it's so typical. And, and it's something that we as Christians, I don't care which side of this thing you're on, got to get over it. You got to stop it. You got to stop being divided over politics. And, and I'm sick of it. And, and I've seen it again and again and again. And it's just so tiring. It's beyond belief. We demonize one another and we demonize the people we don't like who pursue policies we don't like. They become demonic to us. And it's sick. It is absolutely sick. When they had appointed a day for him, when they said, hey, this is, this is the day we want to come talk to you, they came to it as lodging in greater numbers. So even more people than they came the first time came the second time. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. So he took the entire Old Testament and said, let me show you these things. Let me tell you about him. Let me show you these things. And... and try and convince you that, that we find him all through the Scriptures. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved, which is always, always, always the case when Paul preached anywhere, including in, the, in um, Athens when he was there. You know, when he, he gave what we consider to be this great um, this speech there about this unknown God. But, you know, he made a few converts. Other people say, hey, I'd like to hear more from you on that. Um, but it, we, we shouldn't expect, you know, a, a Pentecost-type response all the time. <clears throat> and some, so, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, you'll indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. They've set their faces against me, they've set their hearts against me, they've set their ears against me. They won't hear it, Paul, they will not hear it. And you can see that in all the prophets, the rejection of all the prophets who speak against Israel. You can see it today. When you, you can speak against America, and you can say, you know, we, we are under judgment for a multitude of reasons. And, and we have rejected the Lord, and we've walked away from him. And you can see that the world is under judgment, and people just will not hear it. And you can't begin to say anything or you're mocked. Um, and so don't expect <laughs> to find a willing audience. And, and the, the reality is, is that, that unless the Holy Spirit is given to these people, they're not going to be able to hear God's got to enable them to hear. People have hardened their own hearts. The only way, including you know me at some levels, um, even now, I would say that's true. But but certainly, what I experienced when I was eighteen and what I experienced again when I was thirty-two was this sudden inbreaking. And it was because during the you know the time leading up to those two times, I had hardened my heart, and the Holy Spirit was given to me in order that I would suddenly begin to hear and understand. 
Nobody's preaching a different message. Nobody was telling me something I didn't quite know, you know, quote unquote, because I knew these things in my mind, but I didn't understand the implications and I didn't understand the the um, urgency with which I needed to grasp these things and hold on to these things that I couldn't I couldn't put off any longer making a decision about those things because I could die tomorrow. <clears throat> He said, therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They'll listen. (laughs) Paul says, you've hardened your hearts. I I did my best. I tried to preach to you first, just like I did everywhere else I went. I went to synagogues first, and and I got this kind of reception everywhere I went. And and, hey, God said this was going to happen. So fine, let it know. Let it be known that, that I preached salvation to you. And because you rejected it, now it's going to the Gentiles, and they'll listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. So nobody kept him from preaching the gospel. He continued while he was in prison to do two things. One, preach the gospel to anybody who came, and two, write letters and encourage the churches that he had already been to. We shouldn't let our circumstances prevent us from sharing the gospel. We should never allow that to happen. We should always also do so with a humble heart. We should do so in in the greatest humility that we possibly can, recognizing that no matter what we say, how eloquent we may be, unless God gives the Holy Spirit for understanding, it's not going to happen. But we need to to pull ourselves away. Paul doesn't talk about the events of the day and all that kind of stuff. We need to pull ourselves away from a lot of that. We need to be observers of it and understand what's going on, but we need to, 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 to deal with our own hearts. And then we need to be able to speak to our brothers and sisters about those things, too. When, when you've lapsed over and most of what you think is actually political— and you're bringing that into the church, we need, to, we need to say something about that. We need to be clear about those things. We need to be clear that, that there's the, the Word of God and then there's the Word of the world. And we need to be clear about those things. We need to be humble about all of that. And we need to be humble in, in a sense that we can be corrected, because like Jesus has to correct the disciples in this place.